0: So the first thing I wanted to share with you guys before we get into it, I was I was getting out of my truck the other morning at the gym, and as I was stepping out, there was a quarter on the ground in the parking lot, and I, I've never been the kind of guy to pick up a quarter off the ground, you know? I'm not the guy that if I drop my change, I'm gonna go running after it, you know? So I looked at the quarter, and I shut my door, and the Lord was like, um... There's a quarter on the ground back there. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I'm not that guy. <laughs> and he showed me. He starts speaking to me, you know, and he says, "You know, you pray for provision, <laughs> right? You have no, you have no problem depositing the checks that come in the mail, but you won't pick up a quarter." Okay, so this week. I've picked up every single piece of change that I've found on the ground. But what he showed me with that was, how often do we come before him praying for something and we're asking, 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 and then we deny the blessing because it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. That's a good word. So. A quarter is just as good as a check in the mail. Well, I'm going to pray. Well, I just thank you, Lord, for, for this time tonight, God. I thank you for this word. And just this time with you, Lord, that you show up. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the Lord's been been speaking to me about this thing for a few weeks now, and it's wild. I'm gonna talk about marriage tonight. But it's crazy how the enemy comes after something when the Lord gives you a word like this. Almost immediately about three weeks ago, (laughs) things got weird in my house. Not that there was intense fighting or arguing or anything like that, or even really disagreements. It's actually been really subtle. Small offenses, distance, indifference, tension with no words. So one of the biggest indicators for me that I'm hearing what God wants me to talk about correctly is how the enemy comes after it. Typically, it starts with anxiety and then doubt. But this one in particular, it came in the form of discord in my house. But that's all right, because here we are. So you know a marriage is something that you're just supposed to survive, right? (laughs) Wake up every morning and say, just gotta make it through today. Every day until one of you dies, right? No, we're supposed to thrive in our marriages. It's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be enjoyable. I used to work with a guy, always complained about going home. He was like, he took the night shift every night, and then it was time to go home, and he would just be like, oh man, I don't wanna go home. It's like, why? He had a wife and kids, and he would just say, because she's there. And I never understood it. Like I could never like wrap my mind around that. Like why, why are you married? Why did you get married if that's your mindset towards it? And I mean, they now they've been married probably over 20 years and six kids. So I hope they got past that, but <laughs> I don't know. But I'm gonna kick off in Ephesians 5, verse 22. And that says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So here's where it gets good. It says that in black and white, submit to your husbands. But it also goes on to tell husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, also in black and white. It tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Paul is telling us that as men, we need to lay our lives down for our spouses, for our families, just as Jesus did for the church. So what does that look like? Simply put, John three sixteen, right? Jesus gave his life for our lives. He paid the debt we deserve so we can have access to the eternity that he deserves. He gave everything for the church. So for you and I, for the men, we have to become a man that she desires to submit to That looks like living a life fully surrendered to Jesus ourselves. That's where it starts. We have to be a safe place for her to be vulnerable and be able to share her emotions. Yes, emotions. Those things that pop up whenever the Packers win or lose. I don't watch football, so some of you might understand. But I get it. I was raised by a generation that hid their emotions, and I was raised to hide them myself because you're a baby if you cry, right? There's something wrong with you if you can't push through a problem on your own. And I know some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But it's okay to be emotional. And it's okay to have a hard time at sometimes. in an atmosphere like this, we can find men that will come beside us and help out. It's okay to get plugged in with a group, with a small group, with a pastor, with a counselor, somebody that will come alongside you to help you through the issues. And that's okay to do. I spent a lot of years trying to figure man out, man out on my own. But it was prideful to think I could do it all on my own. And we don't have to. So sometimes laying your life down means to put aside your interests in order to care for your spouse. So back to it. Creating a safe place for our spouses. As important as it is for men to be a safe place for their wives, it goes both ways. I know most of us, like Pastor Bob, super tough guys, (laughs) but it's okay to create a safe space for your husband to be transparent and vulnerable. You don't have to push and pry, but let them know that you're not going to judge him for being honest. Let him know that you're not going to think less of him if he's having a hard time with something. That makes sense? See, when I'm personally surrendered to Jesus, it makes it easy for my wife to submit to me. I heard a story this week, I was listening to David Hogan at work one day, and he was telling a story about him and his wife, and they live in Mexico, and they were taking a 10-hour trip somewhere to do a conference or something, they were driving separate, and he was talking about the area that he lived in and how awful it is, how violent it was. Drug cartels, shootouts, there's just crazy things going on. So on his way out, he called his wife, two separate cars, and asked her, which way should we go? Which way do you wanna go? And her response to him was, I'll follow you following Jesus. And that's the perfect example of that. I couldn't put that in a better way. Because in a marriage, we mutually submit to one another the wife willingly submits to following her husband's leadership in Christ. When we both submit our will to God first, we become more willing to obey his commands to submit to others. And remember, it's not about how much I know about the Bible or how many scriptures I can recite. What's attractive to my spouse, what makes it safe for my spouse, is the relationship that I have with Jesus. It's about the walk with him. It's about the fruit. You see, this type of submission is rarely an issue when both parties are surrendered to Jesus. When we follow Jesus, it makes us desirable to submit to. So let's pick back up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Love our wives as we love ourselves. See, this takes it back to us dealing with our own emotional situations, handling our trauma, handling the things that we've been through and dealing with them. Because if we don't have a high regard for ourselves, how can I love my wife appropriately? So it's okay to deal with your junk. And Paul echoes Genesis 2.24 when he says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's real. And I know that because my wife, Sarah, if you haven't met her yet, say Hi. She feels what I feel. When I'm stressed out, she knows it. When I'm anxious, she knows it. I was in a dark place for a, lot of, a long time, and she would always tell me that she could see a dark cloud over me. And no matter how hard I tried to convince us both that everything was all right, she always knew. Because we're one flesh. That concept of being one flesh starts in the very beginning with Adam and Eve being one flesh all the way through the whole Bible, it's significant. So the next one I've got for everybody is Joshua 24. Verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As men, as fathers, as husbands, we're priests of our home. We're the spiritual heads of our home, right? And we have a choice to make on which way our families are gonna go. I had to make a choice when I married my wife, which gods we were going to serve. The ones of my father, which were chasing the desires of my flesh, or Jesus. We definitely went after the other gods first, We went after the gods that, that my father chased, that our parents chased, right? Drinking, partying, serving the flesh. Chasing what felt good until it didn't feel good anymore. Riddled with hangovers, guilt and shame. I remember a time that I was trying to do both serve God and my flesh. It was awful. Knowing I needed to be in church, but I was serving my flesh until five or 6 a.m. So I was going to church drunk, hiding from everyone until worship started so I wouldn't have to talk to anyone because they'd know, right? The reality is I'm sure they knew anyway, but thank God they loved Jesus and seen the broken, hurting guy, and loved me anyway. They showed me Jesus in that mess. So Joshua asked the question, which God will you serve? And then he said it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He set a standard for every generation of his family to follow. His standard, his declaration, was the foundation of a legacy. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It takes one person in a generation to declare that and build a legacy of followers of Jesus. So declare, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. It's a prophetic declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if you're not married yet, if there's no possible wife in sight or husband, declare it. Start paving the way. Start plowing in the spirit that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we're, you know, right now we have kids that are away from the Lord and this rings true with this and it's a reminder and I can declare it over that, that even though they're not walking with the Lord and they've turned their backs to the Lord, I can still declare that. I can still say, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the authority that we've been given in Jesus the authority we have in our homes and in our families. That's where we get to establish a new standard. This is where we get to build a new legacy. I grew up watching my family drink, smoke, and some do drugs. I knew there was heavy alcoholism and drug, bu- drug abuse on both sides of my family. I personally was smoking weed when I was 11. And by 13, my friends and I were stealing cigarettes from our parents every day and getting blackout drunk on the weekends. I remember being in my mid-20s, still drinking heavily daily, thinking this is who I am because that's who my family was. Thinking that's who I have to be because that's who my family is. That was what I thought my legacy had to be. But guess what happened? I met Jesus. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. None of my kids have known the life that I knew at such a young age. I know this is repetitive, but I want you to catch it. And we need to declare it and remind hell whose we are and who our families belong to. Are we good? Matthew 18, verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Why is that significant? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. My math might be off, but marriage equals two. And if you have kids, there's at least three, unless you've got a bunch of kids like I do. Then there's more. So in this case, it fits marriage too. I got married to my wife. Not your wife. (laughs) We made a covenant before God and became one flesh. So now there's two of us gathered in his name, right? So that means that he is in the midst of us. We have to keep him there though. We have to keep him in the center of our marriage. This is part of the reason that the enemy hates marriages and families. I may be powerful in the spirit, but alone I could easily be distracted and pulled from the flock. Not that it's impossible if I'm married, but there's two of us. And at the very least, there's accountability in two or more. When I was in the army, we walked around, we did everything in the battle buddy system. It was two or three people did everything. And that was in case one of us was stupid and made poor choices. Hopefully the other one wasn't stupid too. So someone could be a voice of reason, right? But it's the same in this case. If I'm slipping or wavering, there's more of a chance that my spouse will notice and be the voice that says, this may be a bad idea. Or at the very least, question what's going on. Don't get me wrong, there's power in a person. And Jesus is with the one. But a married couple is a threat to the enemy because of the presence that's with them because two are stronger than one. There's a chance that the two will grow a whole family that will be rooted in Jesus, fighting for Jesus' kingdom. Mark 3, verse 25 says, a house divided cannot stand. Jesus said this as a warning, and the enemy knows it's true. Why do you think he comes after marriages so hard? If we give him a place to get into, he'll jump in. If my wife and I are fighting about the color of curtains we want, it's more than enough of an opening for the enemy to come in and snag a foothold. Causing division over something that doesn't even matter in the grander scheme of things. But if he can find an area of division, it's easy for temptation to creep in. It's easy for eyes to start to wander. It's easy for doubts and securities to pop up. That little cracked open door turns into an interstate for him to cruise in on and toil in our families. So now our house is no longer standing for God and we are no longer standing against the enemy. That leaves us distracted and in no way a threat to him. In our marriages, we are supposed to be equally yoked to one another. If we can stay yoked, we can stand for the kingdom and stand against the enemy. We are a threat to hell when we stand in unity with our spouses and our families. Are you ready for the piano, Dita? Unless Amy, do you want? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Be willing to lay everything down for her, whatever the cost. Learn to be a safe place for your spouse, both men and women. Be someone that they can trust, someone that they can lean on and be open with. Paul devotes twice as many words to telling men how to love their wives as he does telling women how to submit to their husbands. We should be willing to sacrifice everything for her. And no wife needs to fear or resist submission to a husband who treats her that way. Be a man she desires to submit to. Be the priest of your home. Lead your wife to serve the Lord with you. Establish a standard and build a legacy for your family. Remember, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hate your spouse. Remember why you love them. Kill the doubt, kill the option of a way out and always remember why you said yes in the first place. There's power in a marriage that's rooted in Jesus. You would all stand, please. just thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage, God. I pray that you would help us to see our spouses the way you see our spouses, Lord. That you would give us the courage to stand for our families, Lord. I pray that you would give us the courage to do what it takes to be the spouse that you designed us to be, God. Just thank you, Jesus. If I could have a ministry team come up, that would be awesome. If you wanna come up and just make that declaration, I would encourage you to grab your spouse's hand, come up here and have one of these guys pray for you. That you wanna stand up, step into the authority that he's given you and make that declaration for your household. Just come on up. If you're not married, you can come up too and start making that declaration. <laughs> Let these guys pray for your marriage. Let these guys pray for your future. You Jesus. guys will be up here for a little bit, but Lord, I just pray a blessing over everybody tonight, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to work in marriages, God. Bless marriages, bless families, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you.